Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Farmers Capital Conversations, bringing you helpful strategies and practical resources to help you invest on and off the farm. If you find value today, don't hesitate to leave us an honest review and share the episode. Yes, this helps us, but more importantly, it could help someone else along their journey. Now, let's dive in without further ado. Why, why would I put money at 4% here when I can earn 15% in a, in, a, in, a, in a syndication or another type of real estate deal? And the answer to that is you don't have to choose one or the other. You could do both. You could put money into life insurance policy, take out a load, and then deploy that load in a deal, and then use the income from that deal to pay back the loan. This way, you're doing multiple things. You're thinking like a bank. You're, you're, your money is growing in multiple places. You're mitigating your risk. There are tax benefits involved. And then you're recycling your money now for the next deal. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show. Today, we have Sari Abraham on to delve into the concept of infinite banking, where individuals become their own bank with the help of their whole life insurance. Sari, welcome to the show. Hey, Casey. Thank you so much for having me on, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. I've been wanting to get you on the show for a while. I think we first made communication you know, back um, over a year ago, if yeah. memory serves. And I've always been a fan of what you were doing with the bank on yourself confident uh, concept, infinite banking. It seems, even though it's been around since 1980s, mm-hmm. this concept of cash value, I think, is something that's has been reemerging with the help of you and folks in your industry. So maybe we can just take a step back and, you know, why did you get into this industry, um, specifically the infinite banking concept? Yeah, definitely. Good question. So I've, I've been in the industry for about eight years now, and I initially started off in more of the traditional insurance sense. I worked at Allstate Insurance, a couple other insurance companies, more of the sales and marketing role. So my career had always been in insurance and financial services, looking for different products and things like that. And I came across the book, the Bank on Yourself Revolution book, which talks about the strategy. It's written by Pamela Yellen. She's the one that founded the Bank on Yourself trademark and brand. So she wrote the book, The Bank on Yourself Revolution, and it talks about what Bank on Yourself is, how you could use it for your business, how you could take out loans, how you could buy back debt, how you could use it for all types of financial strategies. So I, I bought into the concept as a client myself. And so that was kind of my first rule is over, if you're going to sell something or get involved in some sort of business, like make sure like you would do it for yourself, like you would buy that product or service for yourself. And that was exactly what happened with Bank on Yourself. So I decided to incorporate that into my business as a, as a tool in my toolbox for clients because I believe in it. I, I own it. My wife has a policy. We have a policy on our son. Uh, I have a lot of other family members. So it's something that I, I, I believe in. And then I started a company called Financial Asset Protection, which is that's all we do now is just cash value, whole life insurance for real estate investors, business owners, and, and those who want to use the policy to accelerate or amplify other investments. And from there, we've started a podcast called Thinking Like a Bank, which you're more than welcome to join us on an episode if you'd like on our, on our podcast called Thinking Like a Bank. And that's kind of the brand I'm building now is how to think like a bank, not just think like a real estate investor or think like a farmer or a business owner, but how to really think like a bank. That's a great backstory. And I love the fact that you and your wife and you actually have a policy on your child now as well. So you guys are active users of these types of financial tools. And so you realize the value in it, and then you're essentially bringing it, bringing the value to others as well through your think like a bank um, brand and company as well. So I, I love that. 
Yeah, definitely. It's there's there's a lot to it. There's a lot to this field, right? It's not just um, you know, if you Google right now like whole whole life insurance, you'll probably find a lot more negative than positive on it. And it's because it's so it's such a vast thing. It's not it's not so much of like a one type of product. There are over two thousand life insurance companies, and each company has you know ten different whole life products. So you can imagine there's yeah. so many different ways of structuring these policies and buying these policies that you really need an advisor who knows what they're doing, who's who specializes in this. Not just somebody who has a life insurance license. It has to be someone who really uses it on a day to day and uses it personally. Uh, that's something. If you listen to this podcast, you've come across other infinite banking uh, podcasts. Um, look, look at the who that's involved, the who, not the, what product or the name of the company or anything, but the who that's involved for sure. Okay. Can you dive into that? Like what, what should people be looking out for when they're interested in this? Um, but maybe before we get into that, what is whole or this infinite banking concept? You know, what is the cash value that resides within it? Can you just give us a brief overview of the concept itself? Yeah, definitely. So there's, in, in general, three types of life insurance. There's term life, whole life, and universal. There's a couple other ones, but in general, those are the three kinds. Term, whole life, and universal. Term is what most people already have. They get it through work. It's usually two times your annual salary. Your work pays for it in most situations. And then, and then most situations when people want to buy life insurance, they get term. It's, just, it's a set period of time, either 10 years, 20 years, or 30 years. It has a start date. It has an end date. And it has a level death benefit. That means, you know, a million dollars from now until the policy expires. That's what most people have as far as life insurance. And then where things get a little bit tricky is there's universal life. Universal life, it has some stock market components to it. It can go up, it can go down, um, and it has cash value in it. Unlike term, it has cash value. And then the third one is whole life. Whole life is essentially a permanent form of life insurance with a savings component inside of it. So it's like a savings account with a life insurance policy. And that savings account portion, you could put money in, you could take out loans, you could put money back in, and it's like a line of credit. That's what infinite banking is. It's using whole life insurance so that way you can have the life insurance and you could also have a line of credit attached to it that you could put money in and take money out. And there are a lot of tax advantages to doing that. There's a lot of other financial benefits to, to using a line of credit with your whole life policy. Now, yep. so go ahead. No, I was just going to say, so essentially that savings account that you were just mentioning, is that is that the cash value portion or what other folks call it the cash value within the policy? Yeah, exactly. Cash value or cash surrender value. So okay. both of those are the same thing. Okay, great. And then, so what are some of the benefits of using such policy? Yeah, so number one, I probably, the, I think, you know, the, the biggest thing is, is that the growth of the policy is not impacted by market conditions. So that means if you, Casey, right now start a policy and you're going to do it over the next 30 years, you could see the growth from now and beyond 30 years. Like you could see how it's going to, how much cash value is going to grow, how much of the life insurance is going to grow. And it's one of the only, it's probably the only asset that is not correlated to any stock market or bonds or, or any, any market out there. It doesn't, doesn't matter what happens in those markets because of what they because of how the insurance companies operate. They're typically super conservative. They've been around for over a hundred years. They've been paying dividends for over a hundred years. So that's probably the number one thing is it's not you can't you can't have your policy impact be impacted by market conditions. In other words, it can grow regardless of market conditions. Number two is the leverage, right? If you put in right now $100,000 in your policy, let's just say you do a single premium policy. That means you, you buy a policy with one payment. You put $100,000 in 
within 30 days, you could take out a loan for $80,000. Now, what's the big deal about that? Like, why is that so special? Well, when you take out that loan, whether you take out that loan or not, your policy, your life insurance, and your cash value both grow every day. They keep growing every single day, whether there's an outstanding loan against it or not. So now this can create interest arbitrage. Interest arbitrage is where you borrow from point A and then you sell at point B and there's a split between that. So a lot of real estate investors use these policies. They take out loans against these policies. They deploy them in either active or real estate, active or passive real estate deals. And then they earn a difference. They make money in the real estate deals and they make money with the interest in the policy. Because when you borrow from the policy, you're borrowing at a lower interest rate than you are earning. So this creates interest arbitrage. And then number three, there's, there's asset protection involved with these, depending on the state you live in. Talk to an attorney about this. But the life insurance policies usually are, are exempt from uh, bankruptcy and from judgments and things like that. That's more of like a legal question you want to talk to your attorney about. And then, yeah, so we talked about the guaranteed growth. We talked about the liquidity and then the asset protection. And then with the liquidity too, there's no credit checks. There's no, you don't have to qualify for the loan. Whatever your cash surrender value is, you could take out a loan for up to 90% of that amount. And it's a no, non-recourse loan. So you never have to pay back the loan. If you take out a loan and never pay it back, the insurance company takes that out of the death benefit when you pass away. Okay. Very interesting. So no, number one, not correlated to the market. How was that possible? How, what are the, some of the mechanics behind that? Yeah. So, so number one is that it's, it's, it's owned or backed by a life insurance company. And life insurance companies operate differently from other companies. In general, they have to have reserves. They, they're audited by, by the state they operate in every quarter. They have to meet certain reserve requirements. And they're also, they can't, they're limited as far as to what they can invest in. About 60 to 80% of their investments are in bonds. And then the other 20, 20 roughly 20% are in private loans and private mortgages to real estate investors and other companies. So they're, they're typically super conservative as far as where they invest their money. And they, they like for example, one of the companies we work with was founded in 1905. And from 1905 until now, they paid dividends. Now think about this. What's happened between 1905 and now? How many depressions and how many recessions have we had? We've had a lot, right? Uh, and it has to do with how they operate as a company with their reserve requirements. And then plus, a component like it's actuarial science. It's the law of large numbers, which means that if you right now invest, for example, um, if you go right now, for example, and you invest in one real estate deal and you lose money on that one real estate deal, well, that could affect you personally because it was a, a big, it could be a big portion of your net worth. But if an insurance company goes and invests in a real estate deal with billions of dollars and millions of customers who are paying the premiums every month, every year, now the risks have been hedged because even if they do take a loss, and I'm sure insurance companies do take losses on certain investments, they have, they're backed by so many other assets and customers that are paying their premiums that they don't even feel that they, they could even hedge, that they could even come out ahead on top of that loss with their other gains that they have. So that's another big part of infinite banking. It's the law of large numbers. It's not just you and the insurance company, it's you and millions of other people all paying in premiums to the insurance company and the insurance company is running and then a professional investment company. They are, they are managing people's money in essence. They're investing in bonds and other privately held loans. So that's how they're able to consistently come out ahead every single year, regardless of what happens in the market. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it seems like it's a risk-adjusted strategy. It's very similar to in buying and renting a single-family home 
or investing in a multifamily syndication where you have 100 doors. If one of those doors is vacant for a few months, it's not going to kill the investment. In fact, you actually anticipate that because you're likely going to renovate the unit. So it's the same concept with these insurance companies. Individuals are buying into this policy and on the back end, these insurance companies are reinvesting that into the bond market, into other assets that they deem approvable. And like you said, have been operating for hundreds of years, paying dividends. And those dividends go back into the whole life term policy. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. The, so the policy earns interest and dividends every year, and it's credited to your account if it's structured properly. If it's structured properly, the dividends and the interest will go into your account, whether you take out a loan against the policy or not. So it's, it's called non-direct recognition and the policy grows either way. It earns interest and dividends. You can have the dividends paid out to you as like a check that they, they give you once a year. But I've actually, out of all the policies I've worked on with clients, I've never, we've never set up a policy like that. They're, they're all set up with dividends being reinvested back into the policy because that ultimately leads to the most growth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the compounding effect, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. Because if you, whatever your, whatever your cash value is this year, next year, your dividends are credited based off of the amount of cash value you have. So if the dividends go back into the cash value, it inflates the cash value, which then grows the dividend for the following year. So it's a compounding effect. Whereas if you take out the dividends, it's going to reduce future dividends. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. So, sorry, do you have a an example that you could walk us through that's maybe similar to something that's a little bit more tangible for us um, to wrap our heads around? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So in the same example, if you put $100,000 right in a single premium policy, that means it's paid up one time. Your cash surrender value is a, could probably going to be about ninety, maybe 94000 depending on the age of the person and the health of the person. And then after that, you take out a loan for 90% of that. So that puts you at, at around eighty to 85000 you could take out. The life insurance would probably be around $200,000. So imagine if this client or this person took out this loan, $80,000, deployed it in a, 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 as a limited partner in a real estate deal at, let's just say, 10% internal rate of return conservatively, they would still get the growth on that policy. Plus, their policy would probably, five years later, would probably, depending on their, on their health, their, their cash value five, year, five years later could be around one hundred. dollars probably $110,000, $115,000. So they made a 10% return on the real estate that they invested in. And then plus, they earned about 10 to 15% overall growth in their life policy, which is not that crazy over five years. But they earned that growth and they also earned the growth in their real estate investment. So that is one way of using the policy. And then there's also, we could also touch on the tax benefits with that, right? The tax benefits are when you have these policies, the growth every year, the interest and dividends that are growing every year in these policies, they grow uh, tax tax deferred. And in most situations where you take out that money, it's tax free. So I guess like one question would be like, how could the policy not be taxable, right? Uh, and that's something known as a modified endowment contract, MEC, MEC, a MEC policy. If it's a MEC policy, then the loans and withdrawals are taxable beyond the basis. So in the same example, if we put $100,000 into a policy, three years later, just say the cash value is 105. If we take out a loan, any amount of loan in year three, we'll have to pay ordinary income taxes on $5,000. 
plus a 10% penalty if under the age of 59 and a half. But now a lot of your audience are probably real estate investors. They're probably even real estate, they even have real estate professional status. So if you are in that situation, talk to your accountant and you may be able to use the losses from real estate, the depreciation from real estate to offset the gains in the taxable gains in a life insurance policy because the taxable gains in a life insurance policy are known as portfolio income, not a, a different type of non-passive income. And that could be offset by the losses of real estate. Again, I don't want to give you tax advice because I don't know your mm-hmm. tax situation, but talk to your tax professional about that. So it's really, it's really good for real estate professionals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially when you consider it as it could be tax-free or it could be tax-deferred either way. So this cash value that we've been talking about, you put in a policy, you purchase a policy that's worth maybe 100K. Can you take out a loan on that policy for 80K or what What are the maximums on that? Yeah, in year, in year one, like immediately, if you put 100,000 as a single premium to a policy, you probably be able to take out 80 to 85,000 as a maximum loan. Okay. Right, right within 30 days of funding, you could do so. And then when you use that money to invest in another property, maybe you're using it to flip, maybe using it as a line of credit, you have the obligation to pay back that policy at an interest rate. Is that correct? So yeah, good question. So yeah, you, you have to pay back interest, but technically you don't have to pay the loan back. In other words, another way to put it is when you take out this loan, the $80,000 loan, every day your loan balance will grow. So you take 80,000 and then you multiply that with today's rates are still 5% surprisingly. The insurance company still charges 5% for these loans. You divide that by 365 days. That means if you take out an $80,000 loan, your every day your loan balance will grow by about $10.95 a day. It'll grow. And then what will happen is if you just never pay it back, then it will, it'll capitalize. That means that you take the interest and then you add that to the principal and then next year it starts again. It's, we're still projecting it's going to be around 5% simple interest. And then if you just never pay back the loan, your loan balance will grow. But because your death benefit starts off at a higher pace already and grows, even with the outstanding loan, it's safe to say that your policy can never go underwater. It can't go underwater to the point where the life insurance loan exceeds the policy itself. So you could, in theory, take out a loan and just let the loan balance on it grow until you pass away, until you're 100 years old or whatever the age you die at, and the, the insurance company reimburses themselves from the death benefit they take out. So they'll take the death benefit minus the loan and the interest owed, the principal interest, and then pay that to your beneficiaries. Of course, a lot of clients pay back the loan, right? They pay back with interest in the loan. So that way they could be their own bankers. So that way they could keep recycling their money and keep growing and keep taking advantage of different opportunities because you don't have to qualify for the loans. You don't have to show proof of income or anything at all. It's just a one-page paper, one-page document. And you put in your policy number and you put in the amount you could take out up to 90% of your cash value. And then in about three to five business days, it's directly deposited in your account. And then you can pay back the loan automatically monthly, or you can log into an online portal and you can just make uh, uh, the payments back into the policy. So there's a lot of flexibility. There's a ton of flexibility. But to answer your question, the insurance company does charge interest, but you are not obligated to pay the loan back. Interesting. Okay. That, that's good clarity for us. So how does that work when you take that cash value out, you use it as a loan? 
does it work well with other financial institutions like a local credit union or a bigger institutional bank? Can you have a whole a policy, pull out the cash value as a loan, and then also have a loan from a commercial bank? Is that possible? Yes, it is. And the reason why is because when, like for example, like to use the easy numbers, if you wanted to buy something that was $100,000 and then you were going to put down 20% down. So yes, you could do the 20% down or whatever the down payment is from your life insurance policy as a loan and then the other 80% from the bank. And the reason why you can is because it's a non-recourse loan. It's a private loan. It's an unencumbered loan. Uh, this is the this is different from if I came to you, Casey, and I said, hey, Casey, I need to buy this property. Can I borrow $20,000 from you? And I took $20,000 from you. And then I went to go put as a down payment. The underwriters at the bank are going to stop that because they're going to say, you're going to be in debt to us for 80000 And then you're going to be in debt to Casey for the other 20%. So you're 100% levered. And it's, we don't want that. We don't want that type of risk. We want you to use your equity in the property. So when you use your life insurance policy, that's your equity. It's a non-recourse loan. It's not the same. Even though you borrowed that money, it's not the same thing as if you went and borrowed that money from somewhere else. Also, they're not going to count the income repayment, the, the loan repayment in the debt-to-income ratio because you don't have to pay the loan back. Oh, that's interesting. So two big things there. You're essentially using your own equity. so. It's non-recourse, so they can't apply that to your debt-to-income, and mm -hmm. they can't use it against the original loan balance. So very interesting strategy there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. So what are the, some of the misconceptions? Like, It seems like it's a little bit too good to be true. So what, what are some of the misconceptions that, have, that maybe people have been hearing? You did mention earlier that there's 20 large corporations that are doing these and they all have their own nuanced policies and perhaps there's some maybe misinformation that's been floating around some bad stories but i guess could you give us some just some of the misconceptions that you've been hearing or maybe you hear on a regular basis yeah definitely like i mentioned if you if you google whole life insurance you'll find a lot more negative than positive like for example one thing you may find is there's like a one percent growth over the life of the policy or very tiny growth that's not true um, if you if you structure the proper pro policy properly, you could you could see uh, internal rate of return over the life of the policy closer to uh, three point five to four percent. Now, that's I know that's not a crazy number, especially for real estate investors, but that's a lot better than a savings account or a CD. And then uh, th that's one thing. And and then yeah, right now CDs and savings accounts are probably paying a little bit more than four percent, but it's a limited time. You can't rely on that over like a thirty year period of time. You can with the whole life policy. So. So that's one misconception. The other misconception is you, you hear like, for example, Dave Ramsey talking about like, it doesn't make sense how you have to put money in a life insurance policy and then you have to pay interest when you borrow that money. Well, there's more to that because the policy keeps earning interest too. So you have to count that as well. And that you have to count the dividends you're still getting in the policy. And the math speaks for itself. So it's not my opinion that, you know, it's a, it's a good idea. Uh, if, you, if you took out a policy loan and then you paid it back, you could see the growth in the policy, the interest in the dividends outpace what you paid in the policy. So that means you can come out ahead with a life insurance loan. So that's another thing too. Um, let's see what else. Um, and then third thing too, so I, a client one time sent me this article. And in the article, the, the, they were talking about the negative parts of whole life insurance. And they were saying, be wary of life insurance, whole life policies because you could be stuck paying premiums for the rest of your life. That's actually 100% not true at all. 
you could do mm. a life, you could you could start a life insurance policy with one payment one time you could also do a life insurance policy for one year where you're just making payments for 12 months and that's it you're done you could do a life insurance policy for two years you can even say to the insurance company that you're going to pay them for a 30-year premium and then seven eight years later you don't want to keep paying into the policy you could it's called reduce paid off you reduce the premiums going into the policy and you no longer need to put in any premiums in the policy and it's paid up for life the policy is still active it's still enforced there's still a life and there's still a death benefit and then you still have access to the cash value you can still take out loans and pay back loans but you're not required to pay back premiums and, and whole life insurance is the only policies that you could do this are the types of policies you can't if you can't put in for example five years of term premiums and then just stop paying into it and then have it paid up for the rest of your life uh, you could t probably do it with index universal life or universal life, but there's more risk to that because those policies continue to increase in cost every year. But whole life insurance, absolutely, you could just stop paying in premiums whenever you want and keep the policy in force. That's interesting. Yeah, so it sounds like there's a lot of flexibility with whole life. Yep, a lot of flexibility, yeah. And then if you're listening to this and you're like, you know, what, what makes a policy properly structured? Like what, like if you wanted to do this, like how do you know if it's properly structured? Well, number one, it's you want to make sure it's non-direct recognition, right? That means that if you take out a loan, your interest and dividends keep getting credited to your account, whether there's an outstanding loan against it or not. It doesn't matter. That's not an equation. That's not factored into the equation. And then number two, you want to make sure it's from a mutually owned insurance company. There are actually 2,000 life insurance companies. Most of them are stock owners, stock held companies. So you want to make sure it's a mutually held insurance company that pays dividends, a participating mutually owned uh, insurance company that pays dividends to its policy owners. That'll help you earn the dividends back in your policy. Whereas stock, stock, hold, stock owned companies pay dividends to the shareholders. Mm -hmm. uh, number three, you want to make sure there's a lot of flexibility with the, the growth of the policy. So there's something called the paid up additions rider. The paid up additions rider helps you increase the cash value in the policy significantly increase the cash value in the policy as well as it gives you the flexibility to put money in and take money out that's through the paid up additions rider so you want to make sure that the insurance company has that and that it is flexible and then number four you want to make sure it's a whole life policy not index universal life or universal life the difference being is universal and, and index universal life policies the cost of insurance on those increases every single year. It go, it grows. It goes up in value. Whole life is a complete opposite of that. Whole life is most expensive in the first two years, and then after that, the cost of insurance decreases. And then at the point where it's all, once you go beyond your break-even point in the whole life policy, it's all profit at that point. There are no the, the the cost of insurance has already been accounted for early on. Okay, that, that that's a really good point that the first two years is the most expensive part of this policy. That was one of my lingering questions um, before we hopped on. Can you use this as a line of credit for your business, like a three, six month line of credit situation? Absolutely. Yeah. You could use it as a way where you're borrowing for your business and paying back. You can use your cash flow from your business to pay it back. A lot of business owners do that. Again, there's no credit checks. There's no you know, tax returns involved. It keeps growing. So over time, you could use your business revenue, your gross revenue from your business to put in the policy and then take out. And then the, the key is that you're using gross revenue to, to, to pay for the policy. Now, I don't want to lead you to think that it's tax deductible because the premiums and the interest are most likely not tax deductible. Talk to your tax professional about that, but most situations it's not going to be tax deductible. But 
you could use a gross revenue to put in the policy and then you could take out loans to pay your taxes to pay your employees to pay uh, whatever expenses you have and the benefit of doing that is you get to earn interest on that money before you spend it so this is a big this is a big banking principle right something that we talk about in our in our podcast a lot is you're thinking like a bank a bank is essentially a bridge between those who have money and those who need money right and then banks earn a split between that just for connecting people just for wire transfers deposits credit cards mortgages mm-hmm. they're literally in the middle of that transaction they're taking a, a cut out of that so you want to think the same way if you're a business owner and you have some expenses that are not due for three or six or 12 months you can have it sit in your policy earn compound interest take out a loan pay those expenses and then just keep recycling that process over and over again essentially you're using other people's money to fund and grow your life insurance policies mm-hmm yeah, you're, you're essentially setting yourself up just like a bank where you can leverage that interest arbitrage, mm-hmm. you know, create this cash value, have it earn these dividends over time, build that up, pay any operating expenses at the time. But the trick is, you know, pay it when it comes due, mm-hmm. not, you know, when the earliest is possible, because then you can earn that spread very similar to how banks do. Precisely. Yeah, good point. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Well, we have definitely covered a lot. Is there anything that we're missing? Like what are some of the maybe common challenges or concerns that you're most hearing out there in today's environment? You know, maybe someone, me included, isn't completely, I'm getting more familiar with this strategy, but with interest rates being, what are they? High six, maybe seven. The Fed funds rate is very high right now, considering the last 10, 20 years. So how do you, how do you think about the high interest environment that we're in right now? How does that affect these policies? Yep. Awesome question. So interest is a big deal with whole life insurance policies. So if you, if you go back to like 1980, right, interest rates, I think back then were like 22%. The prime was like 22% back then. If you take out a loan from the insurance company, right, that's how, that's pretty close to how much you were paying in interest. That's also close to dividend rates. So life insurance companies, they earn one of their biggest forms of income, interest. So when interest rates go up, their income increases, which means that their dividends also increase too. Dividends of life with life insurance companies are positively correlated with interest rates. As interest rates go up, dividends rates go up. And then vice versa, as interest rates go down, life insurance dividends also decrease too. So we've, we've seen a decrease in life insurance dividends over the last 20 years. Why? Because we've seen a decrease in interest rates over the last 20 years. But now, as we are kind of at the churning point now, right, 2023, mortgage interest rates have already gone up. They've been up for a couple of years. Life insurance loans have, interest, rates, interest rate loans have not gone up yet. They're still 5% simple interest. But if they do go up, then we could see dividends also go up, which means that having a life insurance policy in a low interest rate environment is beneficial because the cost to borrow is cheaper. You could, we, in, in 2020, we actually had clients taking out whole equity lines of credit and cashing out refinancing and adding into life insurance policies because they were getting like 2.5% you know, interest on their mortgages and, and, and HELOCs. Um, so that's a, that's a, there's, a, there's a benefit to getting a whole life policy in, low, in a low interest rate environment, plus the low interest rates are, are, are cheap too. But then it's also beneficial in a high interest rate environment because dividend rates are projected to increase too. So 
it's good in the low market and low interest rate environment and it's and it's good in a high interest rate environment you win at both ends yeah <laughs> yep exactly yep there's not very many things in life where that's actually the case yep very cool yep. very right, cool exactly. so what are some of the challenges like if someone's interested they say this sounds great there's many benefits to this clearly it's not correlated to the market we can use it as leverage we can use it as down payment it has some asset protection advantages to it as well it works well in a low interest rate environment as well as a high income high interest rate environment we can use it for operating lines of credit for your own business there's lots of flexibility sounds too good to be true what are the challenges that some of the um, the common person off the street that can it, it can face right now is it you did mention earlier that the most expensive part is to the first two years of these policies or is there anything else that we should be talking about I'd say those are the, the two one of the, one of the big things is the, the the initial start of the policy right like in the, in the example here you're, you're you put in a hundred thousand dollars in cash value your cash surrender value right away is you know, dollars $93,000, depending on the person's age and their health. Well, many times clients would say, what happened to that seven or $8,000 difference? Well, technically, that is the cost of insurance. However, it's a cost only if you withdraw all your money and walk away. If you put $100,000 into a policy, and then you say, you know what, a year later, like, I want to back out of this, even though you don't have to, the policy is paid up. Let's just say you say, I want to back out of this. The insurance company sends you a check for $92,000. Yeah, there was a, a loss, you know, an $8,000 loss right there, which in most situations is not tax deductible, that loss. Um, some a clients might look at that and say, well, what happened to my money? Well, there was a cost of insurance. You had over $200,000 in life insurance. If you passed away during that period of time, the insurance company would have had to pay $200,000. So there's, there's a cost of insurance factor that you have to understand. But, but the good news to that is, the bright side to that is you end up recouping the cost of insurance. You end up getting that back plus more. The other thing too is, I mentioned, you could see an internal rate of return in your policy over the, over the life of the policy between 3.5 and 4%. Anyway, I know it's something crazy, right? You could easily get more than that in, in a, as a limited partner in a real estate deal. So it brings up the next obstacle or, or objection that clients might have is, why, why would I put money at 4% here when I can earn 15% in a, in, a, in, a, in a syndication or another type of real estate deal? And the answer to that is you don't have to choose one or the other. You could do both. You could put money into life insurance policy, take out a load, and then deploy that load in a deal, and then use the income from that deal to pay back the loan. This way, you're doing multiple things. You're thinking like a bank. You're, you're, your money is growing in multiple places. You're mitigating your risk. There are tax benefits involved. And then you're recycling your money now for the next deal. That's exactly what I was hoping you'd bring up because it's not an either or situation. It's, yeah. It could be an and or. You can yeah. use both of these vehicles at the same time to grow your wealth. Exactly. Yes. You, you don't have to choose one or the other. You could just you could have one policy deployed in many different investments. I love it. It's a cool strategy. There's a lot of people out there using it. Um, I first uncovered it you know, about a, a year ago have been diving in. So happy that you were able to come on to the show today. Um, is there anything that you'd like to like to call out but before we hop off? We've thrown out a lot of information and it's it's been great to uncover this little gem in the world of financial strategy and planning. But 
before we close out, is there anything else you want to touch on? No, that's all, Casey. Thanks for having me on. If you want to, if, if you're listening to this podcast, you want to talk to me, you want a free 15 minute call just to ask me some questions, you can go to thinkinglikeabank.com. Thinkinglikeabank.com. Schedule a time. You have an ebook there. You can have me on LinkedIn. Everything's at thinkinglikeabank.com. That's awesome. That sounds great. And we will definitely put that in the show notes as well. Sorry. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Much appreciated. Thanks, Casey. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. To all listeners, hope you found some more some good, valuable information regarding whole life insurance policies, please reach out to Sorry at the thinkinglikeabank.com website and look to learn more and hope you enjoyed the episode. Look out for another one next week. Thanks, everyone. See ya.